Hello, personal productivity enthusiasts and community. Welcome to Anything But Idle, the productivity news podcast. Uh, today's show is brought to you by W3C Web Services. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. And I'm Augusto Pinot. And we're your hosts for Anything But Idle. This is episode 30, and we're recording this on November 16th, 2020. Uh, each week, uh, we call all of the uh, web-osphere to be able to find all the great productivity and technology news uh, that we can find to share with you each week. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, discuss all things personal productivity related to uh, the news that we have found this week. And so to start off, we usually have a little bit of a theme. And this week, we thought we would talk about the state of of e-ink note-taking devices, all the various tablets and other kinds of doodads that are available out there for you to use. And uh, so I've been doing quite a bit of research. I don't, I don't know about you, Augusto, but I found some really interesting uh, new tools out there. Uh, but I've also been paying attention to a lot of these other tools that do exist. And there are actually also software uh, that you can put onto devices today that are really uh, quite interesting. So uh, I wanted to start off with kind of just a survey of the various tools that are out there, and we can kind of have a little dialogue about that. Uh, so I think the most notable one that I have heard about so far has been the Remarkable 2 that came out, and uh, it basically is the kind of the reigning king, so to speak, in terms of at least um, the what I've heard on the ground in terms of, of note-taking tablets. What are some of the other tablets you've heard about? And we can kind of uh, cover them. You know, it's been interesting because the the Remarkable 2 really, I don't know how much money they put, but they put a significant amount of dollars into into marketing. And even that, I have a lot of issues on the device, on the things that it's limited to, and you can do it with a, tab, with a, with a regular tablet for significant less. They really bring this concept of the unitasker, uh, quoting my friend uh, Art here and, and quoting Alton Brown. They really made this unitasker and convinced people that this unitasker would be fantastic. Um, that said, I think what you find on software on Android as well as on iPad is a lot more powerful one that Remarkable One can do. Yes, I get it. Required you to be more mature is the word I'm going to use into making sure that you don't install anything else on the device. But that doesn't mean that you cannot make that device similar or better than the Remarkable 2. So the question comes into why people has been feel so attracted to to this. Because it's not the note-taking. It's not the conversion from the note-taking to, to text. That I can do, and we can talk about it in a little bit. But why do you think it's been such attractiveness to this Unitasker. I think it's because of the the paper sensation, the writing experience on the tablet from everyone that I've spoken about who's used the Remarkable and the Remarkable 2 has been that that kind of stylus to the surface of the screen and you really feeling the the, the experience has been similar to a, a writing experience on paper. And while I'm not particularly jazzed up about the idea of something feeling like I'm writing on paper, I, I get the I get the sensation. People want that kind of friction that you get when you are uh, writing on uh, pen or you know pencil on paper. So I think that's probably the closest thing to it. I will note that there is the Wacom Bamboo Slate, and uh, this is a smart pad. It's a digital notebook, but in essence, what you get is a paper pad with an, uh, a stylus 
ink pen, and uh, and this allows you to basically draw on the paper, but it actually captures that content then into uh, digital. So you get this companion application that is then giving you a digital rendition of what you've drawn on paper. Uh, this is akin probably to uh, the way in which the Rocketbook Everlast notebooks work, except that this is kind of a live in real time uh, pairing of the what you're writing on the surface of the of the tablet. Uh, so you have paper on top of the surface of this tablet and it's capturing this in real time. Uh, so that's a really cool tool. And so those of you who are really into sketching, uh, the bamboo slate is something, the Wacom bamboo slate is definitely an option that's out there. And then the other next one that is, is kind of a paper digital hybrid is really the uh, moleskin pen plus and uh, there's the ellipse and uh, and and the, and the others I'm not sure if there's another version of that but either way the moleskin uh, version of that that pen plus is actually very sleek very similar to the Wacom uh, bamboo slate you have this uh, device where you are uh, the pen where you're writing on paper and you're getting a digital rendition. And especially when you're note-taking, I mean, there's so many different modalities where you want to be able to capture. I don't feel like I need to be limited in the way in which I don't want to choose one tool. I want to centralize all, centralize all of my notes in one place once I'm done, but I don't mind the concept of, of going outside of that. Um, I will also note that uh, this is kind of your area of expertise, but with the iPad, and the iPad Pro, you now have the capability of using the paper-like screen protector. And in essence, with the Apple Pencil or another stylus, getting pretty uh, similar experience of writing on what would be writing on paper uh, in the um, on the iPad experience into any number of applications. Uh, what applications do you recommend to folks? So, and that's what I was going to say. You have that paper-like screen protector, you know, and, and I agree. I don't want, you know, I, I have the iPad mini that is where that's my notebook. I always like the, the small form factor. So this is really the notebook I take with me everywhere. But I agree with you. There are moments in which I want to take notes in the massive 12.9, you know, especially if I want to doodle, I want to mind map. I don't want to do it in this little thing. I want to do it in the big one. But I'm given I have both and that give me that that flexibility. But on the application world, it's really has grown so much. There are two in particular I want to talk today. One is Nebo. And Nebo, uh, they come from MyScript and they have been doing ink and pen recognition for, for a really long time. And they're, they're really good, synchronized with any device so you can use it uh, to keep your notes in there. For me, that's an inbox, okay? It's a notepad, the equivalent of the old notepad where I just want a plain notepad. And that's what I use Nebo for. And then I use GoodNotes. GoodNotes has been, I've been praising them for a really long time. They can sort, they can put PDF for annotation, they can print, export, sort, and create any kind of paper uh, for write-on. So it is a really versatile application. And we are going to put in the show notes a couple of things. One is how to search your handwriting notes inside of GoodNotes, because that is a really powerful thing. You know, I many years ago, before handwriting on the iPad, and that was possible, I remember taking notes and notes and notes and just taking pictures and sending to Evernote because the handwrite recognition and they not need to try to transcribe those notes, just get the information I tend to use 
something similar to the Cornell method where I put notes on important things in the site for me to just need to review the site. The rest of the things kind of stay there unless I really need to go into. And having that handwriting recognition, even in my awful handwriting, is something fantastic. So that application, GoodNotes, it's for me, hands down, the best I have found on the iPad. Yeah, and so definitely not e-ink, but I think it's worth mentioning uh, because the iPad is such a, uh, a phenomenal device that gives you, gives you such great flexibility. And you you sold me on GoodNotes, and I've been using GoodNotes both in the ability to write on screen, but also uh, selecting text and then converting that handwritten text. I actually have pretty good handwriting, uh, not to you know pat myself on the back, but I have <laughs> I have pretty good handwriting. So uh, so GoodNotes has a remarkable uh, facility for being able to just you know circle a set of notes and it converts it to text. And then I can lift that text out and put that in Evernote. So I've been really happy with GoodNotes capability yeah. there. And, and I've been giving this this tip, advice to to my clients and everybody who use an iPad. You can get the iPad to turn from color to black and white. So if you access to settings accessibility, you can set the filters of color. So that way, you go from basically color or full color to e-ink or the closest to e-ink in gray. So if you get distracted by the color and the options and all that, that is a fantastic thing. You put the iPad in Do Not Disturb, you put it in gray colors, and it is really, really incredible. So if you look at the iPad in color, okay, I have it set up so if you hit the tree, I, I know the people who are looking at us live can see the change between the colors. So it is a really incredible thing to be able to that easy and that quick go from a full color iPad to really the closest thing to e-ink where I can take notes and don't be distracted. For me, colors is part of notes. So I don't use it every time, but if I'm just taking notes and I don't care for color, I don't care for stuff like that, nothing beats that. And for people who spend a lot of hours, there are times that I just, when my eyes are getting tired, push the home button three times, get in black and white, and then I can continue working, no issue. A couple of notable items. Uh, one is that uh, Amazon Kindle does have a note-taking uh, faculty for written material. Uh, so if you're highlighting things inside of an ebook, you can go ahead and highlight and you can also annotate. Uh, I use a service called clippings.io that allows me to pull and extract those note clippings uh, so that I can go ahead and export that to an outside service like Evernote. And uh, again, I want to centralize all of those notes, even though I may use different tools and different devices for capturing throughout the day. And uh, and then, of course, there are just a couple of notable mentions. One is, I'm going to butcher the name, but I'm going to say Iskin, um, I-S-K-N. Uh, it's the Slate 2. Uh, again, this is one of those e-ink tablets. It comes in uh, multiple versions, but this the Slate 2 itself uh, is uh, very nice. It's less than a pound, uh, and it gives you this really uh, nice writing experience uh, for being able to, to write on it. And then uh, last but not least is I could not talk about note-taking, especially in 2020, uh, snapping back to 20. 10, maybe even 2005. I can't remember the first time I saw a boogie board, uh, but the boogie board is one of those tools that just continues to always impress me. Uh, it's a very simple tool. It's, uh, you know, it, it, they come in different varieties, you know, and uh, ones that have lined sheets that you can slip into the page. Uh, that's the blackboard version. It's a, it's a letter sized eight and a half by 11 inch, uh, you know, notepad. And it's just a really easy, note-taking tool and now it allows you to be able to synchronize that content uh to your device or you can you know go ahead and um you know 
uh, take a picture of it, whatever. And I just, I've always found the boogie board to be a great tool. It's very low tech. It's very easy to use. And, uh, and so, yeah, if, if you are just interested in very plain notes, uh, the boogie board, you just can't go wrong with that. Yeah. There is even, there is even a cheaper version of that that is super affordable and, uh, on the, on the boogie board. I mean, it's $20, $25. If you want just to play and see how it is and, and, and test that, there is an, super cheap version in the amazon store and there's one for kids i mean there's kid solutions and otherwise so i mean they're they're just they're really easy uh you know entrees into the into the e-ink space and uh, that type of market okay so uh that's all I had to really talk about regarding the state of e-ink note-taking devices. If you have any questions, feel free to throw those in the chat. If you have any comments, if you use any of them, feel free to let us know, uh, either by tweeting at us at anything but idle, or you can go ahead and leave a comment on the episode page if you're listening to the podcast afterward. Uh, let's get into our stories of the week, Augusto. What is our first story of the week? And you're going to need to unmute yourself. And the big story, I'm doing that on purpose. <laughs> on the big story uh, of last week, obviously, was the Mac event one more thing and they introduced their famous a1 and we have been reading story over story over, over story yeah their chipset the m1 that came into the macbooks they introduced a macbook air with an m1 a macbook pro and a macbook air and we did a show all covering that with michael slowinski that was really really fun but now a week later we have seen now reports of the speed of that they were saying today that this uh, chipset even is faster than the discretionary chip top of the line for NVIDIA as well as AMD. So that's a big, big, big deal for this chip. The second news we have is Mac OS 11 Big Sur is now available. Uh, it comes, it was announced, we was released on the 12th, and Apple really is trying to bring Mac and the iPad close. Even if you have an M1, you will be able to run iPad and iPhone apps into your Mac now. And that is really, really exciting. Um, there was a comment made by Michael Slowinski on our show about the MacBook, and we were talking about the touchscreen MacBook. And he said the problem now is so thin that it will not work. But at the same time, it was interesting what came out of that, and is based on this chipset, you will be able soon to pick what is the form factor you want. As much as I love my touch screens, not everybody does. Not everybody cares for them. So they will be able to go with a super thin laptop that doesn't have that, but will have the same amount of power. So those two things are really, really exciting for me. Um, our next news, and, and our next news is Google Photo will end unlimited free storage in 2021. And the reason we bring this news is because it has been blown out more than what it really needs to blow out. Uh, because unlimited free storage, it wasn't something for everybody. It was something for specific conditions. So they change it, yes. But it's not... The, the news was make it look Google as a bad guy. That is not necessarily the case in this particular one. In others, maybe, but not in this. So I, we thought it was important to, to mention that, that the change is not really something that Google now is doing. Oh, and I missed the opportunity. No, it was something for certain devices and certain characteristics and certain kind of accounts. Then, and that's it. 
Yeah, um, so 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 folks are aware. Up until the Pixel Five, uh, you will have unlimited uploads under what they call you know um, high quality, um, you know, and you can go ahead and uh, upload those things in an unlimited fashion. Uh, I've been using Amazon since I have an Amazon Prime account. You actually are allowed unlimited photo, uh, you know, storage. So I've been using that Amazon Prime account as my backup uh, for photos for years, and so I I just let letting you all know that if you do have quite a bit of photography, just make sure that you're you're downloading those photos in some way, shape, or form and uploading them to Amazon. Uh, if you do have Amazon Prime, it's an unlimited, you know, photo storage account and you can go ahead and do that. Uh, just know that the the account the the Google Photos accounts will now uh, be counting against you if you had one of those Pixel devices or one of the other uh, partner devices that gave you that um, free uploads. Uh, so I'm, I'm on the Pixel devices. And so um, no matter what, you're going to age out of that option. Like my uh, one of my phones ages out uh, January 2021. Uh, another ages out in 2022. So it's a matter of time before that that feature uh, goes away. But just know that you have it. I mean, it's it's nice that um, anything that you upload during that period, by the way, stays and it does not count against your storage. So it's only until that point when it does um, end that it starts to count against your your storage amount. Yeah, that was I thought it was important to to bring it up that clarification. So our next news is OmniFocus 3.11 release and add support for the iOS 14 widgets. And you, on the prior version of the iOS 13, you could bring OmniFocus to the bar side, but really the widgets are incredible. And one of the things that was introduced with the widgets was the ability to do this smart widget, where you can put widgets on top of widgets and the intelligence on or the AI on the machine will bring them to the front depending on your routine. So with OmniFocus, you can now put the inbox, you can put the other things, you can put even um, certain context and the AI of the machine will bring that when appropriate, when you normally use. So if you, you put a context, context at home and you normally access that at night, the iPad and the widget will know to bring it over at night. And that was really amazing, I think. Uh, and our next news is Alexa Care a person who has two old parents uh, who have the condition that they don't live in the United States. <laughs> Madam, Madam A clearly uh, picked up Of course, up on... Madam, Madam A in my office is clearly listening all the time and laughing at me now. Uh, but, you know, as, as a person who have two old parents that live outside of the country that may not have access to other kind of services. This is really cool. We have installed uh, their service or their, a couple of echoes around the house. And now for me to know that they, I can check on them or more importantly, that they can ask for help that way and I will get the alert. It is really, really fantastic. And I'm honestly grateful for this. Sir. Yeah, especially during these times when it's really important to be connecting with people. The Care Hub is a tool for you to be able to just check in on uh, folks and uh, show them that you do care and that you want to touch base with them. Uh, I recently saw an article about turning an, a spare tablet or a spare smartphone into a kind of a, you know, Facebook portal or, you know, Amazon Echo uh, uh, kind of device so that you always have it around. And I think that's a really smart idea uh, so that you have kind of a fixed location for it. Of course, you know, there are there's things like the uh, Lenovo uh, 
smart display. I have the Google Nest Home uh, Hub Max as well as a Google Home Hub sitting on my desk. And so when I'm in the kitchen and I want to have a conversation with my mother or my dad or somebody like that, I can go ahead and just, uh, you know, ask uh, Big G to go ahead and call one of them. And they come right up on screen and I'm able to interact with them face to face. And it's such a richer experience uh, than just a phone call, uh, especially since it's just nice for them to be able to see your face and see a smiling face and all that good stuff um, during uh, this pandemic. But I mean, going forward, I think it's going to be really powerful even after uh, this is all over. That's correct. And our, our next news now brings Microsoft. And Microsoft is starting to urge users to stop using phone-based multi-factor authentication. Uh, they they are um, suggesting that you use app-based and security keys instead of the phone authentication. Instead of getting that message, text message that you're getting, okay, that really comes insecure. That's the reality, okay? Text message is not protected. And what they are saying is, you know, you should use one of the applications or one of the keys that will bring that instead of the text where you are really putting that second verification in, in the open. Yeah, so you can use a, a one-time password authenticator like Microsoft Authenticator. There is a LastPass Authenticator, which is its own application for doing that. There's Google Authenticator. All of them will work with Microsoft, uh, with Google, and many other services, Evernote, you name it, uh, many of these systems that allow for multi-factor authentication. And by multi-factor, we, we're, we're talking about multiple factors. It's uh, noting where you are uh, logging in potentially, your username and password, right? Public and private keys. Uh, and then of course, this one-time password or other kinds of uh, password generation for um, authentication. So it's absolutely imperative that people start using this technology so that they do not get themselves compromised. The productivity hit is just too severe for you to want to uh, mess around with this anymore. Your your passwords are not secure, so you might as well have these OTP authenticator apps uh, generating the passwords. Awesome. And our next news is the Microsoft to-do app add a new task count and a bunch of improvements. So Microsoft is really making a big effort into making to-do a complete. That is really interesting for me because after they spent so many years making Outlook so robust, now they're making and spreading the love all around different applications. So really you live in Teams and not in Outlook anymore. And it's clever. That's where the future is going and giving access to all these different things and test all these different things of how people interact with their data and their tasks. I think they're making the right move. Yeah, absolutely. On the Microsoft To-Do app, if you're on the Android environment and you've had any syncing issues, update because this will solve that. Uh, I know I was experiencing some of that myself and in, in testing. So uh, now that should fix that. On iOS, um, they've brought a smoother experience to Siri. So now you're able to add tasks via Siri uh, in the system, which is just fantastic. There were some print issues as well. I don't know who prints their tasks, uh, but if you do, <laughs> iOS uh, is, is somehow fixing some of those bugs. Uh, this is also a good time to remind you, though, that Wonderlist, those of you who are on Wonderlist, uh, this article notes that uh, November 15th, which was uh, yesterday, <laughs> was the last day to export Wonderlist data to the to-do app. Uh, so make sure that if you had a backup or, or didn't have a backup of that, uh, note that Wonderlist is now gone. Um, it's, it's shut down and uh, they shut down the service on uh, today. So today was the last day that service would be available. Um, and so uh, if you happen to have a Wonderlist account, um, it, it says that users, the last day to do so was, was yesterday, but I would still try before, you know, uh, they shut it down completely, uh, and and that way you get that data out of Wonderlist uh, into Microsoft To Do. Okay, you're muted. 
Again, I'm doing this on purpose. <laughs> and the next news uh, is on Notion. And Notion now have Notion 2.1 now has a timeline and you can see all the things you did on the projects on a timeline. And, you know, it's they they really has been coming consistently with improvements and improvements. And I'm not a user of Notion Um uh, but but regardless, it's been really interesting for me to see how many improvements they have come to stay. So they are not trying to put features and kill it in three weeks or, or five weeks. They are trying to even build on top of them. And that's honestly been impressive for me. Yeah, so Timeline View is available on all Notion plans. Uh, it's not a Gantt chart. Uh, specifically, but it gives you this timeline view that I think is really uh, interesting. Uh, you can look at these things uh, based on um, hours, days, weeks, uh, uh, semi-weekly or semi-monthly, that is, uh, months, quarters, and years. So you can actually see these things on an expanded view or very concentrated uh, perspectives. And uh, that granularity plus filtering and notion, it sounds like a really powerful feature. We see this uh, coming about because there is clearly a, an, uh, a battle going on in kind of the the um, this space, uh, Trello with table views uh, coming uh, to place. Uh, this is kind of the challenging view, right, uh, that they're trying to create um, uh, the next level of going from personal Kanban style boards to uh, a, a table view. Airtable, of course, has has had that view. Uh, Google Sheets, as well as Microsoft Excel, um, has these capabilities uh, manually. And uh, and so Notion is trying to challenge in that market to give you that kind of perspective. I, I think it's all good for the market. I think it's good to have this kind of uh, feature-rich environment. And certainly for people like me who like to see projects on a timeline scale, uh, I'm a Gantt charter. I've absolutely uh, love using Gantt charts to be able to map things out. Uh, this is a great additional tool for those folks who are in Notion. All right. Are we at the end of our first half of stories, Augusto? Wonderful. All right. So uh, with that, um, we are going to take a break. And when we get back, we will continue our stories of the week. And so uh, with that, a uh, word from our sponsor, W3C Web Services. Did you know half of small businesses don't have websites and half don't make it past one year in business? Are these stats correlated? We're not sure, but we think you should have a website. W3C Web Services provides affordable managed WordPress website hosting, along with VPS, domain name registration, and other small business-focused services. For listeners of this podcast, you can book a free 30-minute digital marketing strategy session when you purchase a new hosting plan. $150 value. Once you purchase your new hosting plan, forward the receipt to support at w3cinc.com with the podcast title in the subject line of the email message, and we'll get you scheduled for your digital marketing strategy session. Head over to anythingbutidle.com slash web hosting and get started with your small business website today. And now back to your show. Welcome back, everybody, to Anything But Idle. Before the break, we were uh, covering the headlines, and we're going to continue on with our second half uh, talking about those headlines. So, Augusto, we have some. Uh, we had an article from Tech Republic about Slack, making it less annoying and distracting. <laughs> uh, what did you pick up on that story? And uh, and I'll I'll, I'll note uh, before you hop in there that my 
my big statement on Slack is that uh, Slack is is this always on, always interrupting beast uh, that has come into the into the productivity space. And it's not that it can't help an organization be more productive, but most of the organizations I've seen lack policies around this. And so this requires you establishing your own protocols for being able to deal with people when uh, Slack is introduced into an organization. And the article kind of touches this point, right? Which is it, it talks about the fact that uh, if you do not create your own uh, in essence, boundaries as it relates to Slack, you're going to increase uh, the interruption-driven society that we're in. And uh, that's just not an appropriate use of technology, uh, one that interrupts you more than it helps support your productivity. Anything else that point, uh, like kind of jumped out in the article for you? No, and uh, and actually, that is one of the big deals with with Slack. Slack there are certain things in which, hey, I believe is great, but the problem is the larger the team, the more this turn into 24 hours of distraction. And how I think there is there is a moment where that number of people turn a slack into a monster instead of into a productivity issue. So I, I have my reservations with slack, but I have my reservations with any piece of tool that says, I need to pay attention to you. And usually that's that's a big deal absolutely next up uh mediatek made some news uh in in a in a recent uh summit that they held about basically uh launching their um their own uh you know basically system on a chip or an soc two new chips uh that were announced and uh and so they're um they're they're pushing out uh, uh, these two new chips. And I think that's a really interesting, uh, kind of step in the market. I don't have much more to say about it than, than that, because I really haven't dived too deeply into the Chromebook, uh, world right now in terms of markets. Obviously, um, the, uh, SOC right now, um, uh, currently runs on the Chromebook Duet, which is the one that I've been testing, uh, for the better part of this year. And, uh, I just think that it's really good to have the market, uh, you know, pushing out these new chips for Chromebook. Uh, obviously, I'm my big argument right now is for Google to do this. I mean, we've seen Apple now do this with Apple Silicon. It's time for Google to show us what they can do, and uh, and and they have the the prowess to be able to make this happen. If they really want to support Chromebook uh, and Chrome OS, they need to step out and do their own uh, chip and uh, and see whether or not they can really make inroads in this market and show us the the absolute perfect. Uh, you know, setup for these devices. Forget the Pixelbook, forget the Pixelbook Go, really uh, design your own uh, Chromebook from the ground up, control the entire uh, supply chain, so, you know, and the entire process, show me the best hardware for the devices and how they work. And I'm, that's what I'm really curious to see from Google. Yeah, and I think that with their nine-year support for some of the device, it will be a really interesting response from Google. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next up. What do we have next mm-hmm. in the news? <laughs> Except for Note CEO, the video service mm-hmm, finally goes live. I, uh, I'm i sorry, I'm still struggling with the name of this, but uh, but I think it's a big deal, uh, If aside of the fact that it's difficult to pronounce, as the article said. and But it, I think what mm-hmm is trying to do, it's really powerful. I just think that, that uh, it's a hard for me the name, but I think it will be really cool as a service to to be able to really, with all the amount we're spending in cameras and stuff, to have a better way to present all. Yeah, I think this is really uh, powerful. Um, uh, I, I was going to actually uh, beta test the mm-hmm app, uh, but you know they ended up 
launching it sooner than I got onto the beta. And I'm really excited. I'm, I've already installed it onto my, my MacBook and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to testing it out in my next Zoom meeting. And, uh, this is going to be really, uh, interesting to see. There are several other technologies that I've been paying attention to that do this, uh, form of manipulating the video, basically becoming your video feed, uh, so that you can, in essence, overlay and underlay, basically put stuff in the background and the foreground of the video, plus move you around in the video, uh, so that it's just a richer experience. And, uh, I'll be curious to see how this really works in line with other technologies that make you kind of a small, you know, a little circle in the bottom corner of the screen and other kinds of technologies that help you create a, a more useful experience for people in video, uh, especially as we make our way into this new phase, this new trending environment where we are not just coming into uh, the like, oh, we'll get out of this uh, COVID-19 situation and then uh, everything will just go back to the way it was. That is not how it's going to go. Uh, we are trending toward more and more uh, virtual working uh, and we're going to see more and more people working remotely and hybrid over the course of time. And uh, like uh, this sounds like so crazy to say, but there may be another pandemic down the road, right? Not far from this. It could happen at any time. And I think that us building these skills now will make us more productive in the future. Like we become more resilient if we don't let our guard down. I know we had a hundred years uh, between the last pandemic and this one <laughs> to let our guards down. Uh, but I believe that we shouldn't do that now. We should really be setting ourselves up for success here by learning the skills to be productive in a virtual space and in a physical space and knowing how to toggle between that in a hybrid environment. And that really means uh, learning these tools like mm -hmm and, uh, and other tools like that that allow us to be able to utilize uh, those pieces. Those skills are going to make you more valuable in the marketplace. And that's really important, I think, across the board. So um, with that, uh, the next thing that um, is up in the in the, uh, the headlines rundown is uh, an article from Psychology Today that talks about the future of health and well-being. And uh, they, they're really talking about this, uh, this idea of, of new technologies kind of stepping in and um, helping us be more um, resilient when it comes to mental health. And uh, anything in that article um, kind of jump out at you, Augusto? You're muted. It was really interesting for me, you know, from the how the integration of this um, mental health and how the AI can help us into identify much earlier dementia and PTSD and depression and even inclination of suicide, because as much help as is needed for this thing. I think their use of AI that may sound scary for people, but I think in this particular case, most people will agree that it is an incredible advantage what we can get from AI in things like this. Yeah. Uh, so if you've ever, uh, you know, tried to use a smartphone app for one of these uh, journaling applications or otherwise, there are these uh, you know, kind of automated assistant style uh, applications. Uh, there's Sanvelo, there's Wobot. Wobot is actually an AI powered, uh, you know, counselor, uh, I can't really call it a counselor, but just kind of a, a mental health assistant. And it's doing this kind of, uh, you know, artificial intelligence or machine learning based and, and natural language processing based uh, interactions. And uh, I think there are some real uh, wonderful ways in which we can bring people who are who don't have access to a live human being and can't afford uh, therapy or counseling uh, can really get some help here. And uh, if that can stop the the you know, kind of overwhelming number of people who are committing suicide 
and or are just struggling to be productive uh, because they're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, you know, psychological issues. Uh, I think that's just something that we should all be uh, pushing for and uh, experiencing ourselves, uh, you know, like use the tools. Uh, like I said, Sanvelo and uh, Wobot, there, there are several of them out there. Uper, Y-O-U-P-E-R. There are several tools out there that really are focused on mental health right now and are using some level of artificial intelligence. Next up, we have uh, Facebook Messenger is bringing vanish mode, right? The vanish mode. So now you don't need to ignore them. They will disappear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want them in the first place, just so that everybody's aware. <laughs> so Messenger will include the vanish mode and will make your messages disappear. And it is interesting. I don't know yet um, the goal of this vanish mode, other than the fact that now I can tell you I didn't say it because it disappeared. <laughs> Um, I don't know. If you need your message to disappear, maybe you're using the wrong media to transmit that. Yeah, I think I think this is um, actually quite interesting and I, and I think useful, uh, which is that there is uh, two parts to this. One is uh, Facebook, which owns obviously Facebook Messenger along mm -hmm. with WhatsApp. Uh, they they are bringing that feature to WhatsApp as well, and. Uh, they are trying to match the ephemeral messaging market that Snapchat has pretty much become the leader of. Uh, right now, if you're using the Snapchat application, you can send photo and chats to someone and it just automatically disappears as you have more conversation. Uh, this is uh, useful for a younger generation that is absolutely aware of the privacy concerns of having their entire life recorded by Facebook and others. Uh, so this is, this is quite in that vein. On the other side of things, uh, I see this from a business perspective as being uh, really interesting. Uh, there is a, a bit of FOMO, right? There's a loss aversion uh, mechanism here by saying to people, here goes a uh, promotional code or here goes a message uh, with something that you need or want. Here goes a link to something. And in some period of time, it's going to disappear if you don't take advantage of it. And uh, so we can use that in a business context to be able to say to folks, hey, here goes this carrot. If you want to have access to this thing, come check it out now before before it disappears. So I see some interesting uses come about it other than just the, the general productivity perspective of being able to uh, get rid of messages because they disappear <laughs> from your inbox over time. Uh, I'm not a big fan of receiving messages on, on Facebook Messenger and, and uh, frankly, uh, choose to avoid them at all costs. Um, uh, and I and I tell all clients, do not message me on Facebook Messenger. You know, come to my website, complete the form there. It's a secure, more secure environment uh, than Facebook Messenger. Uh, I have no interest in, in being in that space. Uh, but I do like the idea of now being able to say, you know what, this is in vanish mode. I can send that message and uh, then it's ephemeral and it will disappear after some period of time. And well, we could not start a show on e ink and not finish on notebooks and notepads. So there is an article on White Cutter talking about notebooks and notepads. And as much as I don't use notebooks and notepads anymore, I really live on electronic ink and the iPad. Um, once in a while, I put an index card and I really like I buy them from Lavender because they are thick that you can write you can write on them is any ink there is no bleeding so it talks about some of the terms you know the bleeding the gusting and the feathering and the really fun read it was a nice read that remind me of a time where I was into all these paper notebooks and I carry mine and I carry a couple because they were for different things and 
at the same time, I'm really, really, really grateful that I don't have that anymore. Yeah, so this is a Wirecutter article from the New York Times, and it covers really all of the best uh, notes, uh, notebooks and notepads that are kind of out there on the market. And uh, it was recently updated uh, as of November 11th. And so they do a lot of testing. And quite honestly, I found a lot of their resources to be quite helpful. I was recently geeking out with a client on pens, uh, fountain pens, and the inks and various options available to it. And while I've been a longtime fountain pen owner uh, and user, I, I did, did not have as near a level of um, specific expertise in it than, than my client. And so he was telling me all about this, and it was uh, quite interesting. And then I came across this article, and I thought, oh my gosh, look at that you know, beautiful paper, uh, beautiful pens, uh, wonderful marriage. Uh, so if you are interested in doing those kinds of things, you know, this is a, a fun, nice little productivity hobby is to buy good pens and buy really wonderful paper. And you can always then use the Evernote app and scan it into Evernote or, or OneNote or whatever other tool uh, you want to use for scanning. So I just thought it was a really fun little romp through uh, the world of note taking. And uh, so you can go ahead and check that out. Okay, that brings us to the end of our headlines, if I'm not mistaken, Augusto. Wonderful. All right, so that brings us in the show to our portion, our segment, which is the science of productivity with Matt Plummer from Sarvana. So with that, take it away, Matt. Welcome to the science of productivity segment. In each segment, I bring you new or recent research on how to accomplish your goals faster, how to become more productive. In this segment, what I want to do is share shocking research, at least shocking to me, about whether you should have tough conversations over the phone or over video. Many people, including myself, have made the case for video calls as a substitute to in-person meetings as we've gone into the pandemic. The case for this is pretty simple and, you know, up until this point, pretty compelling. Basically, that much of our communication, some say 80%, is nonverbal. And so if you're communicating, particularly in challenging conversations, you'd want to use video so that you could receive and capture all that information that is being communicated nonverbally that you will miss or at least most of that, that which you would miss if you're just doing a phone call. Well, I should have seen the first cracks in this theory when I read Malcolm Gladwell's news, newest book called Talking to Strangers. In it, he describes the prevalence of what he calls transparency failure, which is basically the idea that we think we can accurately read other people, but rarely do we do so. The quintessential example of this is a New York City bail judge named Solomon, <clears throat> who believes that he needs to see defendants and look into their eyes in order to make an accurate determination of whether they should be released to parole or go back to jail. The only problem is that a computer-based model outperforms Solomon and his peers and his peers by 25% without any of the information that they receive in those hearings. So what's going on here? Actually, more information led to worst decisions. Well, this finding is supported by research by Michael Koss from Yale University, who did five experiments where he had participants communicate through one of three different modes, voice only, video only, with no voice, or voice and video combined. And what he found across all of these experiments is that those who were communicating via voice only scored higher on what psychologists call emphatic accuracy, which is the ability to read and judge other people's emotions, their thoughts, and their feelings. How is this true? Well, Koss explains this in two ways. One, he says that 
we often think that certain nonverbal cues, so looking down or, uh, you know, grimacing are associated and directly linked to certain emotions or, or feelings. And the reality is that that's not always true and that people are quite good at actually using and disguising uh, their nonverbal cues and not linking them to their emotions. Secondly, it has to do with focus. What Koss says is that those who just were in the voice only experiment were able to focus more on linguistic cues and vocal cues. And so when we have more information, it actually overwhelms us and we lose sight of the most important information and the most accurate information. This doesn't mean that you should go out and cancel your Zoom account, but it does mean that you should think before turning on that video in every conversation, particularly hard conversations, whether or not you need to do video during this time. Thanks for listening to this segment of Science of Productivity. Thank you, Matt Plummer from Zarvana for the Science of Productivity. I have talking uh, to strangers on my Kindle. I'm ready to read it, so I'm looking forward to that Gladwell read. Um, I don't always agree with Malcolm Gladwell, but I always read every one of his books because uh, he is quite uh, a unique and interesting uh, mind out there. All right. Um, so with that, um, we don't have a featured story this week uh, because all of the various stories we've already explained to you, and uh, we are going to run into our new tools of the week segment. Uh, so each week, uh, Augusto and I, we go through many different personal productivity tools and services. We uh, are testing tools with clients. We're working with folks in uh, the field. And so we come across just a bunch of tools and we'd like to share those with you. Uh, so they may not be uh, new tools necessarily, but they may be new tools to you. So uh, in this segment, new tools of the week, uh, we each bring you a tool we think you might like. Uh, so with that uh, is our first tool. And uh, that is the tool. Uh, it's an app and a connection to uh, the physical tools. Um, it's called Bella. And uh, you may have seen these at the uh, store, but in essence, I'm bringing this up on screen for you to be able to see. In essence, um, Bella matches up with the organization uh, uh, storage solutions. Um, and so you probably can't hear this. I'm going to. Um, so, in essence, what Bella does is it allows you to buy these Bella storage containers and then you install the application and in essence you are now able to go ahead and store your products you then have this app where you can scan all the items in and then it uh, indexes it all for you so you can go ahead and find it um, it's actually quite remarkable and i'm and i'm um, i'm curious to see how people use the tool in their own worlds uh, so you have uh, the boxes you then can create uh, different say um box names and rooms and uh, and go ahead and just like track all the items inside of those and then search for them. So just a very simple concept, but I think very powerful in the way in which you can now uh, track and maintain uh, items that you might store, especially for those of you who might be in cities where you send them off to a, a storage solution, storage, uh, you know, uh, building, uh, you know, and they're basically off-site, so you can't just open it and look at it. Now you know what's actually inside the containers uh, because you've snapped an image of it and uh, tracked all of the contents of it. So that is my new tool this week. That is awesome. Actually, you know, even even if when you start thinking, where is this thing? Just being able to pull that list and don't need to open the 27 boxes, but just the box that that is. You that, got it. That's make it pretty powerful. Um, so my tool of the week is GoodNotes. And I praise GoodNotes at the beginning of the show and I've been praising GoodNotes for, for a long time because you can draw, you can create templates for paper. You can, it will convert uh, 
your notes. You can actually search for your handwriting. Even if you have an awful handwriting, you can create notebooks, folders, scan things, put images. Really, there is at least no limit that I have found in in these things. I, If you send me a PDF that I need to refer, trust me, it's going in directly into that. And I can sort it into files and it will sort through the cloud and it will do the backup. And I may, can make notes in one device and it will show up in the next device. And that make it an incredible tool for me. That's the reason I don't use paper. It's not that I don't like paper. It's that right now there is nothing that do my notebooks better than this. Yeah, it's it's actually a really phenomenal tool. I've been using it to mark up PDFs and export them to Evernote uh, in this time where we're between different Evernote versions, right? We're now in Evernote version. 10. Uh, so the, the legacy version of, of Evernote is not available on the iPad. And so being able to do these kinds of sketches on the PDFs has been a godsend, just giving me the ability to mark them up, multicolor, you know, do whatever I want. And then I export it to Evernote and it's uh, captured for me in a c- centralized uh, space. So I've been really, really pleased with GoodNotes. I know that uh, some of my clients use Notability as well uh, and uh, love Notability and, and it has some really great features as well. But I've really taken to GoodNotes and using it for all kinds of, of things. Uh, so really, really pleased with good notes. Fantastic. All right. Uh, so with that, that brings us to, uh, it looks like the close of the episode. Is there anything else you wanted to cover, Augusto? Yes, we have an announcement and uh, getting things done. Ah, yes. uh, 2021 um, planner organizer, is out, yeah. the organizer. So uh, you can find on the show notes the, the link for the planner and uh it's, it's a 2021 version. It is, you know, and as a joke aside, somebody was saying, I'm not buying a 2021 planner until I see the preview of what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 has been quite that year. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure 2021 is going to be all that much better since we have still a raging pandemic and we have uh, a lot of, of work to do. But I, I look forward to 2021 uh, being better than 2020. Um, so with that, we've covered the productivity news this week. Uh, thank you to Augusta Pinal for joining me this and every week on Anything But Idle. Thank you very much. All right, folks, if we have missed a story, you can feel free to let us know by heading over to anythingbutidle.com. There you can click on the contact page uh, and uh, let us know. You can also comment directly on this episode. So it's anythingbutidle.com forward slash 030 for episode 30. Uh, You can also tweet or DM us on Twitter at anythingbutidle.com. But idle. If you have a question or comment, same thing, anything but idle. Uh, if you're looking to find the show notes, uh, links to the articles that we've talked about today, uh, again, anything but idle.com. We've kind of made it easy for you. <laughs> um, and so um, if this is your first time watching the live stream or your 50th time, uh, feel free to hit the thumbs up icon. Uh, that helps to uh, expand our audience and let folks know. Uh, that personal productivity folks know uh, that we exist. So thank you for doing that. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast afterward, uh, feel free to go ahead and leave a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and uh, go ahead and let us know how we're doing. Uh, so with that, that brings us to the close of Anything But Idle for this week, for November 16th, 2020. Uh, I'm Ray Sidney Smith. And with that, take care, everybody. Here's to your productive life. <laughs>